Psalm 94 is a song of assurance in God's chastening. Assurance in God's chastening. Now, the psalmist recognizes that vengeance belongs only to the Lord. Since it is God's responsibility to seek vengeance or revenge upon the wicked, the psalmist cries out to God to mete out that vengeance upon those who oppress the righteous. While praying for vengeance against evildoers, he wrestles with the idea of God taking vengeance upon the righteous who act wickedly. And so in the second half of this psalm, the unknown psalmist develops a theology of chastening. Though God chastens his children, they can still find assurance in his chastening. Now we'll divide this psalm into two parts. First, the complaint in verses 1 through 11, and then the chastening in verses 12 to 23. So let's begin with the complaint in verses 1 through 11, and we're going to begin with verses 1 and 2 and see an invocation, an invocation. Verse 1 and 2, O Lord God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. Now notice that he addresses God directly in verse 1. Literally, O Lord, O Yahweh Elohim of vengeance. And the word vengeance here is plural, meaning that this is uh, uh, the plural of fullness or ultimate vengeance, final vengeance. So Yahweh Elohim of final vengeance. And then he repeats again, Elohim or God of vengeance. And what is vengeance? But it's uh, vindication of the righteous, as we'll see later in verses 16 and 17. As well, vengeance includes punishment of the wicked. Now again, using repetition for emphasis, uh, the psalm again, or the psalmist again cries out, O God of vengeance, shine forth. And the idea of shining forth has to do with God is uh, a God of judgment, and his judgment is often typified in fire. Uh, God is a unquenchable fire. God is a God of judgment. And that's why in verse 2 we see him called, O judge of the earth. And so, God of vengeances shine forth. And then he says in verse 2, uh, God, O judge of the earth, rise up. In other words, stand up from the throne, execute judgment, recompense, punish the proud. And here the proud are those who rebel. Uh, in verse 4, the, the rebels are those who speak insolent things, those who boast in themselves. Now, notice the inquiry in verses 3 to 6. The inquiry in verses 3 to 6. Oh, how long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. So having called upon God to act, now the psalmist lays out his prayer request. Lord, why are you delaying? And twice he asks, how long will the wicked, how long will the lawless ones, the lawbreakers, triumph or exalt? Now, who are these wicked that he's referring to? Well, as we see in verse 4, they're the ones who speak insolent things, or literally they speak arrogantly. Uh, they're workers of lawlessness. Uh, they boast in themselves. You know, the, these are people who have no time for God, who have totally alienated God, and, and practically live a life of atheism. But notice they're also engaged in corporate evil. 
Verse 5, they break in pieces. They literally crush your people. Israel is being ground down by them. They're afflicting. They're humiliating your heritage, which is, which is here a reference to God's people, specifically Israel. And so, you know, not only are they lawless, not only are they proud and, and speak evil things, but uh, they practice evil things, and, and that practice comes out in how they are mistreating. What are they doing? Well, they're slaying the widow. Uh, they're slaying the immigrants. They're murdering orphans, and so on and so forth. And, and really, God has given his people a command to protect the poor, Instead, these individuals, the wicked, destroy them. You know, and, and they're using, according to verse 20, they're using the legal system to do it. Remember what the Lord says in Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And so these people are definitely set themselves against God and his way. Verse 7 through 11, we see some indifference. They have said, the Lord doesn't see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. When will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear doesn't hear. He who formed the eye does not see. He who chastens the nations will he not rebuke. Even he who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of the man, that they are a mere breath. So these acts of violence towards the defenseless, the, 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 the poor, the immigrant, the orphan, so on and so forth, why do these occur? Well, according to verse 7, because these people deny God, they're totally indifferent. God doesn't see, he doesn't hear, he's no different than a blind idol, they claim. He doesn't understand, and so the reality is, according to the psalmist, is no, the wicked do not understand, in verse 7. They, and again, he repeats the same theme in verse 8. He calls them senseless ones, brutish fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Again, that they've totally alienated themselves from God. So should we be surprised that they're totally indifferent towards God? And, and the psalmist, you know, is basically saying, when are you going to understand? When are you going to open your eyes? When are you going to listen to the Lord? Now, he answers the question in two ways. First, the psalmist argues from the lesser to the greater in verse 9. He said, didn't God create our ears to hear? Yes. Uh, doesn't God create our eyes to see? Yes. So if God gives us the faculties to hear and see, don't you think God hears and sees? So you can't accuse God of not seeing or understanding or hearing because he created us with those abilities. He didn't create us with abilities that he himself does not have. And second, he, he asked, won't the God who chastens the nations teach you knowledge? Now, it's interesting here. The word chasten is tied to the word instruction. And that's really what chastening is. You know, we often you know, look at chastening, well, he's just punishing me. And yes, chastening may involve punishment. But the point of the chastening is to teach us or instruct us what to do or what not to do. Well, we see here that God hears, God sees, God speaks. He knows the thoughts. He knows the devices. He knows the plans of people. And those plans are futile. They're vanity. They're but a breath. And uh, God does indeed see. God does indeed hear. He does indeed understand. And he will shut the mouths of these foolish ones. Now, it brings us to verses 12 to 23 and the chastening. The chastening. Now, in verses 12 to 15, we have some consolation. Blessed is the man 
whom you chasten, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Now again, we have this vengeance of God, and vengeance against the wicked just ends in judgment. Okay, and ultimately he just annihilates them. Okay, sends them into eternal damnation in hell. But when his vengeance is against the wicked, it is not to destroy, but to instruct. And that's why we see the word chasten here. Blessed is the man who you instruct, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law. Now, the word blessed here is plural. Literally, full blessings belong to the one who is taught out of God's law. You know, what do we see in Psalm 1, 2? Blessed is the man who finds his delight in the law of the Lord. You know, it amazes me how many believers today, quote-unquote Christians, claim that, you know, they don't need God's law. God's law has been done away. So what you're telling me is the source of God's blessing in our lives is done away. The source of God teaching us who he is, teaching us his standard of holiness, is done away. I mean, this this doesn't stand up under the scrutiny of logic, okay? Blessed is the man who you chasten, who you teach, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law. So what we're going to do is we're just going to remove the source of blessing. So go through the scripture, find all the verses that tell us that we're blessed, and you might as well remove all of those. Because to be blessed is to be the object of grace, and, and that object of grace is tied to the fact that we were obedient, well, if we've removed God's law, what are we obedient to? The result of this instruction is given. God is going to give us, grant us, rest in or from the days of adversity. Now, this doesn't mean there isn't going to be adversity, but he's going to give us peace in the midst of the adversity. Ultimately, this peace means that the days of adversity, these evil days, are not going to last. Deliverance is going to come, and eventually a grave, a pit, is going to be dug for the wicked, for the lawbreakers. And so he gives them an assurance of deliverance from the wicked, from the wicked days. Yahweh will not cast off. He will not abandon his people. He will not forget his inheritance. He's going to be true to his covenant. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And as a consequence, uh, judgment or justice will return to righteousness. Uh, the, this throne of iniquity that's devising evil by law will be done away. And that's what we see all around us. We see it in government. We see it uh, in corporations. We, we, we see it just so uh, entrenched throughout the world. I'm even fearful that we see it in some churches. Uh, but using the law to get away with evil. You know, the law is supposed to... Uh, withhold evil. The law is supposed to be a judgment against evil. Uh, and, and yet today, because of the great wickedness, uh, the great lawlessness of, of humanity, people are now using the law, and they have for, for generations, but it's seemingly more so today that the law has become a means of doing evil. And we're talking not about, about God's law, but man's laws. Verses 16 and 19, we receive some comfort. In the midst of this chastening, who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do wickedness? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, 
Your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolation, your comforts delight my soul. So the psalmist now uh, turns uh, from the hope that he's been given in God's law to his present pain. Lord, who is going to protect me from these evildoers, from these workers of lawlessness? And, of course, the answer is right in verse 17, Yahweh. Yahweh will. Yahweh will be their help. Uh, we, we sometimes, in some English translations, see this word secure. Uh, I've been asked so many times, you know, what does this word secure mean? It, it, it means assistance or help. Uh, God himself will help. He, will, uh, he who would have dwelt in the abode of silence will be helped. Now, that phrase, he who would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence, means he who would have been dead. God is not just going to leave us like dead men. Uh, even if our foot slips, even if we should slip into sin, God is there in his mercy to hold us up, to pick us up, uh, to, to re- redeem us, if you will, deliver us uh, from our sin. And so he concludes, in the multitude of my anxieties, your comforts delight my soul. Again, where do these comforts come? From the law of God. Blesses the man who delights in the law of the Lord. The more time we spend in God's word, the more time we spend in God's law and in, 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 in his instruction, learning who God is, what he is, what he expects, what he demands, guess what? It's going to ease our anxieties. We're going to receive comfort. So often, so many of our anxieties are, are self-created. And it's because our minds are not focused on God's Word. Now, certainly, that is not to say that every form of anxiety is because someone's not focused on God's Word. There are certainly medical issues and, and uh, reasons uh, for that. And I would say to somebody who's dealing with anxiety, uh, we need to take a twofold approach to this. Uh, is, it, is, is the source of this anxiety spiritual? And if it is, we treat it spiritually. But if the anxiety, if the source of anxiety is physiological, then we need to be treating it from a medical perspective. But here God is dealing with anxiety that is caused from a, from a spiritual issue. And that spiritual issue is not being in God's word, not learning and loving God's law. He, clo- he closes with verses 20 to 23, and uh, we, we see a statement of covertness covertness. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them. Here we see the full establishment of evil, the throne of iniquity, the throne of wickedness, of lawlessness. You know, this, uh, this government, this monarchy, this tribunal, uh, this Congress, this, you know, whatever form of government it's speaking of, has totally embraced lawlessness. They've created laws in which to get away with their lawlessness. And uh, they've, cre- they've devised evil by law. And in doing so, they have cu- been cut off from Yahweh. Well, this lawless justice, uh, which has uh, resulted in the loss of innocent blood, will be condemned by God. This reign of terror will come to an end. Yahweh 
who is our stronghold, our defense, who is our rock of refuge, our fortress, our security in battle, will come to our aid. He will judge the wicked. He will bring an end to the iniquity of the unjust. They will be cut off. And the wicked who execute the innocent unjustly, then themselves will be executed justly by God. God is a God of vengeance, and God will bring his vengeance upon the wicked. But in God's vengeance, he must also bring it against the righteous, against us, when we do evil, when we commit lawlessness. The difference, though, is, as I said earlier, God's vengeance against the wicked ends in their destruction. God's vengeance against us is tempered by his mercy and grace. And so, therefore, his vengeance becomes chastening. Yes, he punishes us, but it's always for the purpose of teaching us, instructing us in his law. So before God has to chasten us to teach us his law, why don't we take the time to get into God's law and to study it and to live it out and obey it in our day-to-day lives. Let's pray. Father God, the Holy One of Heaven, we come before you through the matchless grace of Jesus. Father, we give you the praise for who you are, the matchless one, the sovereign one, the vengeful one, Father. That, Lord, you are a God who does right. You are a God of justice and judgment. Father, we confess that, uh, Lord, we we are sometimes lawless. Lord, we sometimes sin. We, we, yes, we're, we're saved. We thank you for the salvation that you've blessed us with, but but we sin and we confess that sin before you. We, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy One. And Father, I ask that you might forgive us. That Father, as we confess these things, we might forsake them. And that Father, you would cleanse us and restore us to right fellowship with you. Father, there have been many times that we have needed your chastening hand. And Father, I thank you that when your vengeance turns against us because of our wickedness, I thank you that it is, te- that it is tempered by your mercy, by your grace. And that, Father, you don't seek to destroy us, but to instruct us, to teach us how to walk in your ways. So, Lord, help us. Help us to learn your law. Help us to delight in it so that we may be a blessed people. Father, we pray that you would receive all the honor and all the glory. We pray that all that we say and do would magnify you and lift you up above all others and all else. And to this we say, Amen.